0: live. Okay, so we're live uh, this week uh, with the Criterion Collective. Um, the Criterion Collective is coming from the Daw Center for the Arts based in Pomona, California, and not, prof- not, per- a, not pro- a non-profit based in Pomona, California, uh, services Pomona, surrounding areas, and now that the world's on the internet, we service the world. So thank you all for joining us. Um, David, why don't you introduce your guest and the movie that we will be covering this week?
1: The, the world.
0: The world.
2: So it's my pleasure, I think, on episode 15 of the Criterion Collective to welcome on uh, Matt and I's good friend, uh, role model, poet extraordinaire, actor, commercial actor, TV actor, uh, he has been on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, HBO's Deaf Poetry, you could see him in the progressive commercials, still filming, still active during the time of COVID. Uh, let's welcome on Paul Mabon to discuss his pick of the week, *Hands Labyrinth*. Welcome, Paul! Oh, <laughs> welcome!
1: The world, baby, it's the world!
3: That's Boy, a great TV. The world. That so is a please, great so
2: TV. Please, please Paul, if you, could, uh, if you could talk about, uh, you know, why you love this film, why, why you decided uh, to pick this for today. Well, I'm
1: originally from Chicago. No, um, the film.
2: Uh, <laughs> um, I, I saw this. Well, we know film. you're from Spain, you know. I know.
1: Right? <laughs> <laughs> I saw this film, I guess, when it came out in um in 06, because I'm—I really like storytelling, and fantasy and all that stuff when it's done well. Um, what I didn't know was that it was going to be subtitles, and I was initially pissed, you know, <laughs> reading, you know. So, but it just turned out to make it that much more beautiful because just like, um, what was that Oscar-winning movie?
3: The Shape of Water. Uh, the, the the way, which?
1: Uh, the Shape uh, of Water. No, 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 no. The woman in the house. What, which the um house? the asian family in the house and the other oh, angel, parasite. Uh,
3: parasite. yeah just like oh, parasite, parasite you
1: kind of get lost in the um in the story as opposed to you know the dialogue or having to read the dialogue and it was it was a lot of stuff going on in there and it was beautiful the cinematography was great did, uh del Toro did a wonderful job directing and um The special effects were pretty good for 06, you know, and reviewing it, but just the storytelling was just, you know, the juxtaposition of the the war in 44 versus um, how she escaped it with the fantasy life. And, you know, this is a great opportunity to kind of discuss that because you really don't know what's real, you know what I mean? Until you like, you didn't, I didn't know it wasn't real until the very end of the movie where um the the what's he called the 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 ghost said is this what you want to do and he said yeah and then the kid okay fine he turns around but you see her stepfather talking to her but he doesn't see anything so it was all in her head which kind of really makes you go oh man because that's what children do they tend to like escape you know,
3: mm-hmm.
1: so, um, I just, I really, really love the, the escapism. Now I'm, i I like this opportunity to kind of try to figure out what it meant, uh, in terms of how she interpreted real life versus the uh, fantasy, what was supposed to be, mm-hmm. what, you know what I mean? What were the metaphors, stuff like that?
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, what were the
1: metaphors? What do you think? <laughs> oh,
4: so many, right? I know. There were so many, like wh- you begin with the with the um, the dragonfly. Yes. yes, the very large dragonflies are kind of our first apparition of fantasy. Although I suppose if you look at them riding in the coach from the beginning, you get a sense that there's it's a fairy. It's interesting that there's this fairy tale element from the start, where like you were saying, well, where does where does the fairy tale end and life begin, or vice versa? And I think that's the point probably of the movie is to give us that sense from the very beginning yeah. although we know it's not going to be a pretty fairy tale because we see her mom's about to vomit from, from the from having you know the from from having the uh the, the the dizziness and the morning sickness as they call it and so forth but the 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 appearance of the dragonfly that we find out turns out to be something else right um. Hmm uh that i guess that the i i feel i kind of felt like this movie like like life is beautiful roberto benigni and uh and also kind of like um dancer in the dark lars von trier we're so, we're supposed to sort of have this sense that we don't really the line between fantasy and reality is supposed to be very thin
3: mm. and in
4: this case we're shown mm. how thin it is because in a way we see without giving too much away at this point the way that her fairy tale is realized mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. a way that she sees it but it mirrors her life ironically mm-hmm. and i think what you mentioned paul about you know that moment at the end toward the end with her stepfather yes. and the pawn in the labyrinth you yes. know that moment gives us a sense of but what's real to her is also what matters
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, we see it through her eyes. We saw the whole movie through her eyes. Yeah,
4: you know, because that's definitely Var- La- the Lars von Trier dancer in the dark sense as well. Is what what does matter? What is reality? Is the is the worth of reality inside of the individual? It's is it is it, is it really subjective? And is that what really matters?
1: Go, name Like that down.
4: The, the resident philosopher. We'll get more into that, but I want to hear. I want to hear more about what these guys have to say about it too, because.
2: Let's see there. So, he, there. all right. So I'll go ahead. Um, so, yeah. So I, I really love this movie. Um, I think, I think that it's Guillermo del Toro's best. I think it merges Guillermo del Toro is a very interesting filmmaker and in that he goes off, he has his very serious films. He had uh, like period pieces like this or the devil's backbone, I think is probably his second Strongest film, or I haven't seen it in a while, so it might actually be better than this. But uh, and then he had Kronos, which was um, you know another mashup, but still rooted in uh historical elements. And then he has his far-fun stuff like Pacific Rim on the very opposite spectrum. He has Blade 2. Um in all we of his we don't, about about <laughs> we don't <laughs> talk about Blade Two!
3: We don't
2: talk about that. Hey, it was great. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> he, he suplexed uh, you give me, know. Give uh, me
1: your race car. Give it back. Give it back.
2: <laughs> the, the film. Oh, it was fantastic. And the guy had mouth. You know? <laughs> not, not as good as the first one. I know no. it's sacrilege <laughs> to a lot of people out there. But not as good as the first one. Right. Um, so anyways, Guillermo del Toro, very visionary filmmaker. But I think this, this is really him at his best, right? He's really good at horror and he's really good at the fantasy aesthetic, but I think he really thrives in, in in telling these stories that have these Gothic and historical elements where he's mixing in like period drama in with the fantasy. It's, it's it's this beautiful hybrid that I think he does better than anyone else. Um, Gene referenced the shape of water. I think, I think that's a wildly overrated film. I, I didn't enjoy it that much. I can't exactly remember right now why I didn't enjoy it, but I think whatever the pitfalls of that film are, this this film doesn't suffer from or as much. Um, everything here is very coherent. Like you were saying, Paul, this is an extremely symbolic film. And in ways that I didn't even pick up the first time, how like every scene mirrors each other. We have Three different meal scenes. You know, we have the toad eating the bugs, we have the fascists eating their opulent meal all together, um, them talking about giving bread while the Reds aren't gonna give you food. Hey, so there's a That's
1: it, that's it, that's it, that's it. Okay, you found one. I'm not that right. But the juxtaposition, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But I knew that I knew it was doing that. The the fascists eating was the same thing when she went to the tailman, right? And she couldn't touch anything,
3: so right?
1: She represented the the poor people who just had to get the ration cards, and the the fascists were that were the <laughs> <laughs> tailman. Tailman, he's called yeah. the
4: tailman. Okay,
2: yeah, okay, all right. Keep going. I'm with you. Yeah yeah so so what's fascinating with that i think too is that (laughs) (laughs) i think it's really important that ophelia doesn't um she's not present at the meal right because she she disobeys she's she's anti fascist she's the imagination of the free spirit she has the imagination of the free spirit you know So she's not won over by these machine men, by the machine of fascism, by their bribes. She doesn't care about it. She wants this world of fantasy, this world of freedom, even if, and that's what I really love about this movie. I was talking a little bit about this to Jean uh, last week was that what I love about this film is that this is fantasy, but it's dark fantasy. This is very much a fantasy movie, more of a fantasy movie than a horror movie. Um, although there are some horrific elements but this is a fantasy that is mean (laughs) you know this is her form of escape but the escape isn't pleasant in some ways it's darker than the world that she's living in um like what i love right away is that pan is uh you know a friendly character to her ultimately but he's scary as hell he looks like a demon (laughs) you know he's very very
3: it and sounds like
2: <laughs> yeah yeah he has this raspy voice before i got on the zoom call i was i was trying to imitate his you know the way that he said this is a dangerous place he is not man, you know <laughs> so matt matt please please enter enter the fray here
0: yeah so like you know it'll be kind of um you know when, when talking about art made about the the, the spanish civil war it'd be almost like uh, irresponsible not to mention pablo picasso right mm. and uh, pablo picasso has uh, two great quotes one quote i mean he's got many great quotes but the two quotes that are kind of pertinent he said uh, well he said my mother told me if uh, if uh, if i were to become a priest i'd become the pope if i were to become a soldier i'd become a general and if I were, to, but instead I became a painter and I became Pablo Picasso, right? Ooh. Another great quote. He has is, it's a good artist copy, great artist steal, and that one's actually a little more pertinent to this film. This film <laughs> actually uh, much That's as much, much as Shape of Water is stolen from yeah. Splash. You know the movie Tom Hanks comedy Splash is essentially the same plot. I mean, you add a lot of. No! Different- <laughs> <laughs> it <laughs> yeah, had a lot of, <laughs> had a lot of like elements, and you make it more important, and you. you We're, hurting lot, and... We're hurting Paul. We're hurting. No, but, but structurally... it's, flash, it's flash mixed with
2: Omelie, basically. But, uh, you no, take no, those
0: yeah, yeah. two movies, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So structurally, it is much like structurally, it is it is very similar. Oh, yeah. And by the way, Santa's not real either.
1: Like, <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert! You got to set it up, Matt. You can't yeah, just come yeah. in hard. Yeah. <laughs> Grease it up a before you get in
4: yeah god. if we like, have any young listeners
1: oh my god so, so spirit Don't
4: of, listen so. To paul the spirit <laughs> of <Santis.
0: laughs> so Jesus, this, this film this film pan's labyrinth is uh borrows heavily we'll say mm-hmm. uh from a film in the 1970s called the spirit of the beehive which was actually made under uh, uh franco spain and it's a, a film about a little girl named anna and she has this kind of um she sees uh, Frankenstein and she sees Frankenstein throw a little girl in the river and she becomes obsessed with Frankenstein and she pursues that she pursues to meet the Frankenstein monster wandering into the woods and eventually she does meet Frankenstein uh, and he doesn't throw in the water but like she has this kind of whatever, and it's it's been allegory for, uh, for Franco Spain so this film is exactly like Spirit oh. of the Beehive it is exactly oh, interesting.
4: like Spirit I didn't of the know
0: that <laughs> it's taken directly from Spirit of it's a lot less <laughs> subtle than Spirit of the Beehive though because um, and uh, and Ford's benefit it's less subtle because *Spirit of the yeah. Beehive is practically unwatchable. I mean, it's just this little girl, like, you know, like, why did he do that? And there's not down the dialogue for, like, 20 minutes. And it's oh, just, like, no. like, Turner's sister watching trains <laughs> pass by. and oh, this, uh, this has
2: whip pans. And...
0: <laughs> right, 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 right. He, *Spirit of the Beehive is a great movie in the same way like Badlands is a great movie, but, like, why would you watch it more than once? Like,
2: uh-huh. you, know, like
0: you know, just, like, these long 100%. shots and beautiful and they're like the cows aren't coming back you know like that's kind of like and you understand the profundity in the moment but it's not like not necessarily quotable right so it's not like it's not what so so spirit of the beehive but but spirit of the beehive was made in spain like during the reign of franco so it had to be really subtle it had to be really high in a lot of kind of ways so it's it's a it's where so but getting to the movie Pants labyrinth Pants labyrinth is it's it's i mean i i I would would much rather watch Pants labyrinth than um than uh than spirit of the beehive I mean, it's, it's it's a very rewarding film i mean everything everyone said it's got a lot of like metaphors a lot of things you can pick up on a lot of things to discuss later um but if i were you know it's it's, it's uh i don't know uh, maybe maybe it's a combination of spirit of the beehive and the never-ending story or something like, there's, there's like, all these, like <laughs> and this like journey that you kind of go on it's more visually exciting um than, than spirit of the beehive um but yeah yeah i um it's a great film and everything, everything everything i agree with everyone said it. i mean we can get get into kind of like uh the metaphors and stuff like that show chopping up but um but right now i'm kind of like i really i really want to reiterate that like splash is, is the, is the <laughs> shape of water is
2: splash. <laughs> the shape of water well i wanted to pick up on a thread of what you had said matt with with frankenstein and and that movie is that um yeah, I, th- I think there, there's a lot of Frankenstein in this movie. I think the the Captain Vidal character, I think, might actually be the best developed character in the whole film, or is, or is certainly one of the most interesting. And uh, I think there are a lot of uh, parallels that are made with him and, and uh, the Frankenstein monster. Like, he's unsympathetic, though. He truly is, you know, a monster, but he... You know, there he's occupying a mill with his forces, and the room that he chooses, I think, is kind of evocative of like, you know, Frankenstein escaping like the windmill area, the mill going on his rampage. He gets cut and he shows his mouth shut, so he has like the stitching on his face. I think there's also a little bit, maybe I'm reading too much, but a callback to um, the surrealist film, Unscien Andalou, with the the shaving of the eye because he's constantly shaving yeah. So we have this mm-hmm. like sense that there's something impending and the way that he's dressed is the way that the guy in Anshian Andalou is dressed but yeah I love these scenes where he's shaving and the music and like you just have this strong sense that something really bad is going to happen in this well, location at some
4: point. I, I wanted to, I'm i glad you brought that up, David, because what did you guys think about that? What did all you guys think about the moment that I that really stands out for me with all of those mirror moments? And the most grotesque definitely being, you know, this cut, which looks in itself kind of surreal, because a cut like that probably that just had been made wouldn't really look like that. But the moment when he's standing in the mirror, the captain, uh, and he does this (sighs) on himself. Do you remember that?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
4: Okay. I interpreted that when I saw that as being really self-destructive. Right. Like he couldn't wait to die the version of the noble death, the noble not really noble. Yeah, because Paul, do you remember how he denies that his father smashes the watch?
1: That's why I was going to ask you why.
4: Yeah, I I wonder if that's like indicative of his own sense of impending doom and almost self-destruction, you know, because I mean, really, who does this to themselves in a mirror? That's ugly, right? I mean, (laughs) you know, someone who's so monstrous to other people, you would think they'd want to somehow live, but in a sense, he wants to He wants to die this death like his father which he happened to deny like what's wrong with this man he's there's something so sociopathic about him David understands what I'm saying
0: I feel like like uh, Guillermo uh, is a time traveler and went into the future and ripped off the dark knight somehow
2: (laughs) (laughs) no no they both ripped off Ichi the killer Ichi the oh, killer is the original. Yeah, yeah. That's where it all began in 2001. So.
4: well that began, I'm afraid, with Elizabeth Short, <laughs> the Black Dahlia murder, though. So that was
2: 1947. I'll raise you. But I love Go uh, like what um Jack the Ripper. What Gene was saying with um you know that there he, he's at the dinner table and um he denies you know someone asks or someone tells the story of one of the military men tells the story about you know i you know your father he used to carry watch and that it would break at the time of his death and and he's and he just cuts the guy off you know like the my true my father never opened watch. <laughs> yeah right. but then he pulls it out We constantly. Well, and,
3: and
4: we get the sense that it is the watch because did you notice that the face of the clock the glass was slightly broken Well he implying that his father had actually smashed it at the moment of his death
1: Well, he fixed it at the beginning
3: yeah remember
4: oh that's right you're right he does fix it at the beginning good one see and so that's the that's the time ticking on his life <laughs> he doesn't want to admit how afraid he is but obviously, maybe that's why he denies it. Yeah,
3: you know, He doesn't want to yeah. admit
4: how afraid he well,
1: is. Here it is. Yeah, that's it. That's
4: see, he it. doesn't want to admit how afraid he is that he knows his time is coming.
1: Right, so he didn't want to admit that because then that means, if he did admit it, that means that his time is coming. Yeah, you're right. right. I got um, one for you, Janine. Yes, sir. Remember when they told the story of the mountain and the flower at the top that offered eternal life and you had to get through these thorns to get to it. Yep. But none of the men wanted to do it because they all debated about the thorns rather than eternal life. And okay. the more they debated, the more petals would wilt off of them. Yep. What was that about? The little girl.
4: I think it symbolized the little girl. Cause if you remember at the end, we see the white flower bloom, the remnants of her life on earth. If people think to watch See, she was really bereft of love, except from her mother, who couldn't give her too much because she herself was so bereft of love. That's so, so she, the, the little girls like the flower. She's, they she's yeah.
3: The white they flower. can't get.
4: They don't get close white enough to her to white notice.
1: Only they would see it. Yeah, and she went for it, and the thorns that she suffered were what killed her. But she yeah. still went for it, and then got eternal life when she died and met with her father. And oh, okay,
3: yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Her father didn't look like a tailor but okay
2: yeah. <laughs> well that's kind of cool too because they have like they have pointy they have pointy ears and they have black guys and they're like they're kind of scary looking but it's, you know, it's so pleasant scary- the whole the sad part
1: <laughs> of the movie was and i don't know what this is about but you know when she went and she ate the two grapes or whatever the two fairies that had to go, man, that shit was terrible. That was sad. I was, was like, sad. oh my god.
3: So there's
4: a story, there's a story you guys of um and it's it's in Greek mythology. Okay. Uh, you've probably all heard of Zeus because he's the great thunder god, but his father and Paul and David mentioned the title, Cronus. Cronus was the father of Zeus and all of his siblings, and he was so afraid of being usurped, Cronus that is, that he ate his children. And <laughs> and he ate his children. And this this yes, yes, yes. Although m- Zeus got him to vomit them up, and then they started a big war. Okay. But <laughs> this
2: that's is how digestion
4: works yeah yeah but uh but there was a a painting by goya by the, the the great spanish painter goya where you can see him like if he looks just like the pale man clearly del toro got this imagery he had to have from cronus the the legend and also this this painting because the pale man as soon as i saw the pale man i was like oh my god that's totally cronus eating his children by goya Okay, so the eating of the fairies is very reminiscent of this myth. There are a lot of these kinds of references and allegories, yeah, that's right? If you right? Eat,
1: yeah, you, you consume the, the fear
4: very- of being conquered because if you remember what's going on during this time too, and the eyes and everything, you know, this is a time where there's a great there's a great rumbling of the of the of the uh, guerrillas of the the resistance, right? Um, so he's, you know, he's shaking up. And when she eats the food, kind of like Persephone going down into Hades and not being, not mm. she's not supposed to eat pomegranate. Yeah. When you, when you taste the food you so of the devil, you get the devil. You know.
1: You Me, you're so smart. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
4: I know. It's a curse <laughs> and a blessing.
0: Oh, so
2: yeah, it's kind of like uh, what uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, you can't look back, or you'll turn into a pillar of salt. You know, or not? Knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like your the uh, the the tree of knowledge, tree of knowledge. You the know, loss you of innocence. Fruit. Yeah, yeah. So it's this forbidden thing. It's yeah. It's called back, you know, multiple times in, in mythology, and uh, it's kind of like got a Hansel and Gretel kind of vibe. In there. Okay, so you know, so so
1: so so Dave, what was the semblance of throwing the root in the fire by the
2: mother? Oh. oh. Well that, that that really wasn't explicit but I kind of took that as like um, you know I think that's one of the subtle ways in which the film deals with the question of religion. you know we don't have like a strong presentation of Roman Catholicism but like it's subtly there. Guillermo del Toro has even said that he sees the pale man as a representation of Roman Catholicism mm. like, So this Mandrake root I think is meant to symbolize like kind of like, pagan ways or you know esoteric traditions of the Spanish people or people of Europe you know that you know before Christianity came that they had these kind of traditions and it's kind of like their folklore their superstition their magic you know so it's like a representation of of magic that the magic roots and that that they would get so offended by seeing it because they would recognize it as like being witchcraft you know, as so they would see it as being from the devil, you know, anything that wasn't, you know, they could accept the doctor, uh, being present. Um, but, but seeing anything else, they would be like, this is, this is evil. It needs to be, you know, destroyed immediately. And, um, and yeah, that's really interesting. Like, but I think that plays into like the ending too, right? Cause you could read that like Paul was saying that, that this whole thing, um, you know, was just in the girl's mind because the mandrake root, when it goes into the fire, she sees it. You know, writhing in agony. and It's really horrifying image, mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. and just the idea of like a living creature, puggish creature, being under someone's bed is is really gross. You know, it is really creepy. The and yet,
4: <laughs> and yet, plants and yet plants have a life, and there's this oh, life right. force. And prior to what we consider to be modern scientific medicine we had midwifery we had things Mm. and and midwifery certainly um would have been you know considered at this point i suppose in the 1940s with a certain amount of uh, hesitation even danger and what's interesting about mandrake root mandrake root which is belladonna and mandrake are actually plants that are related if you were to uh take some mandrake you would hallucinate If you take too much, you will die. Yes, it's a psychotropic. If you take too much, you will die. Mandrake generally grew most readily under the gallows where people were hung Mm. because mandrake, it was said through the drops of semen, grew more readily. Okay, (laughs) so this is all some interesting lore about mandrake. So the symbolism of the mandrake is extremely potent and powerful.
1: And intriguing. I, I think we should take... It. Intriguing,
0: yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, okay. and,
4: and, oh, I uh, forgot to mention that, yeah, when you would hang a man, it was said yeah. that there, that's why there was this thing, like, they called it auto-erotic ejaculation, how they believed the, the sing, singer from NXS died, because you uh, often ejaculate right before you choke to death, I guess.
2: Yeah, well, often, as one does, you know.
4: <laughs> as one might... As one might. As, I plan. You won't on. do it to any of you. <laughs> we'll be scared, but, you know, it,
2: well, and, 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 you know, and I like that, that the yeah, this whole idea, like of that? This, whole link, this whole link, oh yeah, I love it. I do, you know, I do it once a week. Um, no, no, I, I like this link between psychedelics and fairy tales, right? Yeah. A lot of people have speculated that, you know, Hans Christian Andersen or a lot of the creators of these fairy tales, you know, went into the forest and, you know, uh, uh, you know, found uh, magic mushrooms or found a, a particular one. The red with the with the white dots on it is said to be one that inspired a lot of the European folklore. So that's interesting, mandrake root. I did not know. So perhaps that could be a subtle, you know, tie-in. And then, um, yeah, maybe Guillermo del Toro advocating for us. <laughs>
4: oh, <laughs> yeah. Very possible.
1: There are no accidents. So There that's...
4: are no accidents. And I think it's also really interesting, like you mentioned, David, about the, um, the different, like the allegories and different fairy tales. Lewis Carroll, of course, was rumored to not only suffer from very extreme migraines, but also took psychedelics. And there are some Alice of Wonderland references in this film,
3: mm-hmm.
4: correct? Do you notice that, Paul? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, you had her like whenever she draw a door, you yep. know, and ent- when she enters, when she first goes into the labyrinth, like a rabbit hole, and she's with the little dress that she has, mm. you know, yeah. there's, there's definitely like, you can tell that he's doing homages yep. to different, you know, stories, different fairy tales, different films. He, he does a really good job, I think, of not heavy handing it. Yes. Like, kind of like the subtle aspects of that. Right. I think he does right. a really good job of that, creating right. his own new fairy tale, so to speak.
1: Right. Without without making you think, like Matt said, without, you know, you if you dig just a little, you'll find that it is a homage. That it is nothing is new under the sun. It's just about how you how you how you tell that story, how you salute it.
4: Exactly. How you treat the yeah. subject. You know. Yeah. Yes. That's really smart. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I'm so well, I, I, I have
0: a question. Here. So, so, so the fun, he's
4: kind you of a, a good one, Paul. You I, good
3: did, one. I did, I did, I did. Really? <laughs> <laughs>
4: and this was my first viewing, so this was amazing wow. for me. This was literally my first viewing of this movie because I could never understand: is it a horror movie? Is it a children's movie?
3: You it's know, not a
4: it's, it's definitely not children's movie. You know, definitely not. No, I don't recommend this for children under the age of Shoot like, the baby,
1: three. shoot the child, shoot him. Shoot. Oh, it's so it's
4: it's and and I think that I liked what you guys said too about how you know it, it's not a it's not like the secret garden. It's not like her her allegorical fairy tale world is like really pretty either. Mm. You know, until yeah. until we get to the very end. Of course, and right. that's what's interesting too. I wanted to touch on that. I loved the Marianne character, by the way. I really loved that character. She is the she is the um the like the the head housekeeper.
2: Oh Mercedes? The,
4: Mercedes! Oh, I'm sorry, I got her name wrong.
2: Yeah, yeah.
4: Mercedes. Yeah, Mercedes. Mercedes. Yeah, where I God, that's that's my, actually, that's a, re- a weird thing that I just did because that's my mother's name. So, Mercedes, there's something to that. Um, She was the head housekeeper, and she was also secretly with the resistance. And when she's mourning Ophelia, but what's really going on inside of Ophelia is actually a better world Mm -hmm. than what she's experienced. And he really provokes us to think about that. You know, and and I, I also read that his reference to Ophelia is Kierkegaard, who, by the way, was... Christian existentialist writer, and that, um, you know, the the evil or the killer, when they murder, it's the end, or when they die, it's the end, but when the martyr dies, it's the beginning, and that's kind of reflected in the stepfather versus Ophelia. What does Ophelia's death mean versus what does the stepfather's death mean? Spoilers, everybody. So, So, yeah, so what do you guys think about that? That's kind of an interesting...
0: I want to I want to so the fun the fun is clearly kind of an asshole right but like <laughs> just, I know. Fun, please fun, please explain but <laughs> the fun but is the fun a, a representation yeah. of fascism as well or is Ooh. the fun a representation of the revolutionary discipline required to defeat fascism because you don't just, you don't are. you don't debate with fascism you smash fascism right Number so like two that's, that's going to require you know I mean it's going to require that you you know that you, you know, you don't do stupid things like eat at the fascist table when the fascist are right in front of you, you, don't yeah, funny, don't you know. Like, you, don't, you don't call attention. You don't, you, you gotta, you know, you gotta say man. You gotta like, you know, you gotta,
4: you gotta, I, <laughs> would, well, I would say the, well, that Pan is cunning. Yeah. I would say he's cunning, but he's not, he's not evil. Even though he looks evil, he even looks like a yeah. classic <laughs> devil. But as David brought up, we're kind of breaking through some of these traditions. Of Roman Catholicism versus paganism, the faun or Pan was often symbolized as kind of a life force. Before some people feel that he's his image was taken over in Christianity as something evil. So there's definitely like I think Del Toro was playing with that, and I think Matt, you caught you kind of hooked into that.
2: I think to answer your question, I, I think it depends. Uh, do we remember? Is he there at the end in the afterworld? I think so. For a brief, yes. yeah, he's there. Yes. Yeah, so I think I think that does set that ultimately, because uh, I think he would be he he would be a fascist, um, you know, because he does draw that hard line. He says, you know, this is what you have to do, and she disobeys, which is a large part of the point. That's that's you know her true test, her final test is is that he you know is willing to sacrifice it all, her future, you know, her title for. Um, you know for the life of her baby brother um but yeah i think the fact that he's in on it and he's part of the kingdom i think is Guillermo's way of saying that yeah that part of um you know the answer is sometimes putting people through these difficult tests you know can be drawing a line in the sand um and i i think pan you know is is, is meant to represent that um Something interesting about Pan that I learned through uh, the making of documentaries is that he is uh, played by Doug Jones. Um, Doug Jones actually did his lines for her. He was uh, Abe Sapien in the Hellboy movies. He was the fish man, the mermaid in the shape of water. Um, so it's really cool to see Guillermo del Toro working with the same you know, performance actor And it's really amazing. Like, uh, Gene, you talked about the special effects in this film. Um, I think some of them, or Paul, Paul, you talked, Paul, you talked about the special effects. (laughs) I think think some of them, you know, as far as the CGI goes, are, you know, unfortunately have become a little dated. They, you know, they didn't, they don't hold up quite as well as, you know, as they did when they debuted. But I continue to be struck with the practical work with him. Like, that suit is amazing. The way that the legs go out, you know, yeah. that they actually had prosthetic legs built on. He was carrying the weight of those extra, you know, back bending legs. Right. And that right. they, that his actual legs were, were green coated, where, you know, had this thing so that they could uh, edit them out, you know. Mm-hmm. In- right. <laughs> um, so I just love that. I love his whole design. I love the animatronic eyes. You know, that he has and how much expression that gives him, but that he still, you know, is very dynamic, you know, despite having this great burden of being, you know, being on these stilts and having these extra legs, that he still, you know, brings a lot of um, dynamism to his performance and that he does, like, he is, like, kind of creepy, like he touches her, you know, without her consent. And it's kind of like, it's kind of gross, you know, but. Ultimately, you know, I guess he's, you know, a sympathetic character, but I wanted to go back to Vidal. Because I this this to me. Before you
1: do, wait, before you do, I do want to
4: say something about this. Okay. At the end, how many people thought when he was like, "Oh, you chose rightly because you spilled your own blood rather than the blood of the innocent"? I thought easy for mm. you to say, buddy. I know. I was you know, like, it's like I was like, "Dude, you try to trick her, then you're like, like, Oh, that's what I wanted you to do.' Yeah, I know yeah. Pan's a trickster. Yeah. I also, will say, wow. right?
1: Like, I know he's a trickster. Well.
2: Yeah, I, yeah. Not... Actually, and and this is interesting. Sorry, Paul. This is interesting to think that okay, the pale man has killed hundreds of children, has eaten hundreds of children. But that means that Pan has sent hundreds of children to their death.
4: Yeah. <laughs> and just because they, don't, I mean, how hard is it? We're taught to how hard wow. is it for a child, right? <laughs> and okay, wait a minute. How hard is it when you tell ta- when you say to a child, now whatever you do, don't do this. How many people know that kids are probably going to do it well, <laughs> especially when it comes to food i'm just saying okay <laughs> i do i do think that though david's point is really well made which is i mean i pan and the pale men way beat out the that terrible cgi bear in the revenant i mean that was just that was
3: yeah. okay.
4: So, I mean, despite like technology, I think that's where del Toro made one of his best decisions. Why this film still holds up because it, Doug Jones, that's the actor, do I yeah. His physical work in this is amazing. What they were able to to do. It's, I, I, think, I think that kind of physical, uh, physical uh, work for any actor. And then now you say that that's also the voice that's that's real talent and i think that's that helps it to hold up that Mm. choice was a good choice to make because that's creepy that scene where when he's the pale man he's chasing after her and you see him come up behind her you're just like dear god you know it's
3: (laughs) it's,
4: it's (laughs) horrifying and his physical movements are just that's God, that's
1: creepy. It's perverse. Yeah. Well, it's is you see at the very beginning of it when he shook his legs and stuff. I was like, ooh, right, right. It's like, ooh, I, mm, I
4: don't want to be
2: there. The, part of the brilliance of that scene is just like that. He's so still, and, and there's such a, like there's kind of like a subtle ringing, you know, in the audio track. And then once he finally gets animated, you know, it's just the hands. And it's yeah. like a machine. It's like something, know. <laughs> you know, that each one, you know, has this loud, loud sound. And it's like, you know, you just know that you've awakened, you know, this terrible, terrible oh, yeah. monster. And I love the painting. I knew she was going to eat right? something.
3: Yeah, right. It's she's a kid.
4: Because she's a kid telling people not to do something that involves food. It, you know, I didn't eat the cookies. I swear, crumbs all over the face. You know, it's the classic. Like, I mean, this is why there are so many bodies there, and this is a tragedy. This is like even saying he sent all these. You know, it is. It's like the path. I think what Matt was saying too. The path to liberation is definitely not a smooth one. It's a very thorny one to bring well, up again, what Paul mentioned too, about the flower. It's a thorny path to liberation.
1: Because, because if she had done everything he said, then she wouldn't be alive. That's true. You know what I mean? That's she wouldn't true. be alive. It's like the path to, liber- to the liberation requires you to, to not follow the path.
3: Ooh. You have to
4: break rules, you have to break rules. You have to do not necessarily do what you're told. He's absolutely correct.
2: Oh, He's absolutely correct. <laughs> yeah. So, I, so I'm really fixated on these paintings that set up the terror of the pale man because he has three frescoes <laughs> that capture, you know, him, him uh, eating children. And I really wonder, like, who painted you know these frescoes? Doing- <laughs> was it? Yeah. Wasn't
3: well, Is that well, what he, he
2: did in been. his off time? Was outside labor brought in, and then he ate them? Did he have kids paint these paintings? He said, hey, I'll let you live for a little while if you create a tableau of my murders. Um, but it, it really reminds it, me of, uh, was- uh, of the film Midsummer. I really love Midsommar Is a film that starts off with the painting, and throughout the film are multiple paintings showing you. Like they're really awful, weird, gross, and strange rituals throughout the film, but they're painted in such an innocent style, and I love that. These these frescoes are very childlike, very children's nature, but the things happening in them are
0: absolutely terrifying. It was that double agent pan about the, the 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 fawn. It was. Oh, he has <laughs> the tall legs. He's tall. Yeah, double agent. Yeah. you know was, you know I wanted, Vidal, I wanted to like one thing that was really interesting about Vidal is that like it's, it's fascinating because uh uh I remember reading about it and it said like, you know, they were trying to like say he was um you know he's, he's clearly a villain, but it was complicated because at the end, like, you know, he wanted to die with honor. But it was kind of interesting that like this guy wants to die with honor, but you see him like brutally kill people. Oh, well, he had to torture Once... them and humiliate them. Like there's not like this code of ethics, like you know, like Yes, you're a prisoner of war, and I will, you know, like execute you and, you know, write a letter to your wife and children. And, you know, what I mean, like, you know, that, that, that kind of thing, you know, that, 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 uh, that, you know, I don't, maybe it happens sometimes, maybe it doesn't, maybe that's a myth altogether, but that's mm. sort of like, you're a prisoner of war, write your letter to your family, and now we will calmly execute you. I mean, they usually absolutely get executed by your own army or something like that for some reason, right? But like, but like, uh, that kind of thing that he wanted for himself. Uh, it would not extend to others so i don't find it i don't find that complicated at all i find that that very pretty pretty standard why I, the why the emphasis on
1: torture mm. there's a lot a lot of torture well i mean i had some
4: ideas about that
1: he went through all the tools and then he was going to do it again and you know and then the i guess the doctor was like a mercy cuz the doctor was he was that guy. it was a lot of that ooh, ooh.
3: ooh. yeah yeah, I
4: can tell you something about torture um, during the Spanish... You can? I'm
3: oh, okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> in the back of your... Go <laughs> ahead.
4: You're one of my new favorite people. <laughs> I'm gonna t- let me I, tell you a
2: little I, bit about. Appar- apparently, I can tell the audience things about autoerotic as- asphyxiation and you can right. tell things about torture.
1: <laughs> Go, ahead, Go ahead Janine tell us about torture
4: <laughs> okay during the Spanish Inquisition which was one of the Inquisitions in the in the history of the Roman Catholic Church not necessarily one of the glowing moments uh, yeah uh unfortunately uh one of the forms of torture as it was defined was show them the instruments oh.
3: showing
4: someone the instruments was act- actually one torture. That's how far most torture got because most people when they saw the instruments were like, okay, all right, I'll just <laughs> tell you whatever you need to hear because those instruments were not pretty. Okay. okay, okay. This is probably a reference to that.
3: Yeah.
4: Unlike the Roman Catholic Church though, Vidal was definitely always willing to go further. Right. And I have to say like his instruments of torture I mean, that was pretty horrific stuff. He he did seem to have this fascination. It is interesting that he himself ends up becoming mutilated.
1: Well, yeah. Well, he had to. I mean, just to, they started it off with him, you know, with the rabbits and, you know, how he killed the... Um,
4: oh, oh, really, this, the boy. Oh, wasn't that horrid?
1: Yeah. yeah, he didn't just shoot. And it. it's
4: only response is, you need to work this out before you call me. Like, he has no <laughs> remorse whatsoever he is the classic like narcissistic antisocial personality disorder, the ca- classic psychopath yeah. because he has literally no feeling for other people whatsoever. He wants yeah. to save his son as a symbol. He wants to save his son as a symbol. He's not concerned about his wife. If it comes to my, he says, if it comes down to it, you know, yeah. save my son, save the, the child, you know, he's, he has no qualms about shooting Ophelia. He has no qualms about torturing people, bashing people, shooting, pe- killing people. That's
1: why he had to die a violent death because.
4: I mean,
3: really? you know,
4: and, and when she said, and do you remember the worst horror for him was when she said, "This child will never know your name." That was the worst horror for him. He was yeah. his legacy was not going to go on,
2: which yeah, was I what think it was that's, really all about. I think that's what it was for him was legacy. I think that's the reason why. He's carrying around this broken watch, but he hears it ticking throughout the battle sequences um, and through any scenes of urgency, um, you know, where they're being attacked or he's going after, you know, a raiding party. He hears the ticking. The idea of his mind is this this notion of urgency and, and having to carry on his father's name. And I think he kind of resents that, like you said, that it's brought up because he doesn't want people knowing that this is his weakness. I think he's, right. he's a man, he's very, you know, his idea, he has to be strong at all times. Like, I think very, right away, he says something uh, that's, you know, very misogynist, you know, something, oh, women are like that, or women, you, yeah. know, women, blah, you know, right away. And I oh, think yeah, right yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the guy whose knows that he bashes in with the God. bottle, the that's sun, so cool. He um, so you know the son cute. says, if my father says that's the case, then it must be true. And I think he really resents that you know Captain Vidal because I, I think in his mind he is the truth or you know Franco is the truth the so, you know this the 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 fascists are the truth. I I am a representative of the truth. you can't tell me what the truth is. So it's that intense like Ford, you know, motion, him being a machine, him being the gears, the gears in his room, the gears of the clock, he has to carry on, this machine has to carry on, the, the lineage, his son is part of the machine to keep it going, keep it going, forward, forward, forward. Um,
1: and, for him yeah. to, and for him to die in yeah. the hands of a woman, because the first thing he did was told her to sit down, remember? Yeah. yeah. Oh. It's like, no, I can walk. And he was like, you would have said before, girl. And then she said, <laughs> <That's> "True, It's <laughs>
4: true. That's and a good
1: point. To like, turn into, because he was very intimidating to women throughout the whole thing, you mm-hmm. know? And for him to die at the hand, well, to subsequently fall to the hands of the woman and poisoned by the child, you know? Right, I mean, right. Women did him in, you know? Women if, did them so. in.
4: Women did him in. And you know, as I was thinking, you know, I go back to this theme. It is interesting as we're talking about Vidal, very interesting character in that. And, and actually he does, he starts out almost like a superficial villain. His, he's, he's almost like one of these hand-wringing, mustache-twirling villains. Right. But by the end, you see more of him, which is to Del Toro's credit, that he goes much deeper than just the, the you know, the, the hand-wringing and mustache-twirling villain. But he thinks the way to immortality is to kill. Mm-hmm. and ophelia sees the way to immortality as to die to sacrifice and definitely i think that's really what del toro is certainly saying here is that you don't get you don't get to liberation by you don't, or or you don't get to the truth or you don't get to the immortal or the eternal by by wiping people out um you get there by making sacrifices by sacrificing of yourself, you know, and you always put, you don't put yourself first, which is clearly what Vidal did throughout. He always put, if you notice in almost every scene, did you guys notice that in almost every scene, he's literally and figuratively putting himself first. He's always standing in front of people, that wonderful shot that they got of the glimmer of his hat with the three stars. He's standing in front of everybody. He's always in the front, He's always in the at the in the prominence. He always comes first, Hmm. you know. Whereas Ophelia's decision is, I'm actually going to make myself last to be first. That's actually very biblical too.
1: Did you find any semblance in the ribbon of her dress falling before her dress fell, or was that just the dress is going to fall?
4: i i kind of got that sense yeah i got that i mean that's an excellent question because i don't know my sense was that was what it was there for it was it was there to give us kind of a a foreshadowing of what was to come but but i don't know if that (laughs) i'm I'm thinking that was probably deliberate because of the way it was shot you know you don't get the sense that there are many accidents in this movie
1: well i know that but i'm just saying as far as like Put a lot of emphasis on the dress
4: yeah
1: uh, you know when the ribbon fell it just seemed like the dress was what caused the mother it was a lot of emphasis on that dress
3: yeah, it yeah. Wasn't just,
1: oh you got your clothes dirty now we're mad the mother was like devastated you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> you know, really put it on. well
4: that's good paul yeah. you remember what the mother said about the dress your father this is for your father he'll be very proud of you
1: Oh yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Remember
4: that? So I mean, yeah. to me, it's like another symbol of, you know, that that really is one of her first great disobediences.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah.
4: she commits, right?
2: Well, I think so, what's great about the dress too is like, um, I think I think uh, um, someone had made the Alice in Wonderland reference, right? So the dress, very obviously, uh, you know, it's blue in Alice in Wonderland. It's green here. Um, we learned that the mother, you know, made it, so it took a long time. She she wishes that she had had a dress like that when she was young. So that's so that's established. I think that's also the mother sees this as a way of like cementing their place in the family because they're still somewhat out, outsiders. The captain, he had he's well established within this power structure. These powerful people are coming in, yeah. so I think she sees yeah. this as an opportunity, and she's very excited to tell the story of how they met. And this is one of my favorites that I picked up this time. That oh my god, does she realize at the dinner that the captain may have killed <laughs> the father or caused? Wait the- a minute,
3: I, I missed mean, that. That's the way that
2: I read it. That's the way that I read it. Because like you see, because you could read the disappointment on her face as being like the disappointment of. Um, you know that she's getting slapped down at this table after like you know trying to you know establish a place you know at at the table and and he you know rebukes her but there's a sly comment from one of the dinner guests that's like oh how convenient that you two met up i was like oh wow it could be really convenient yeah. And, and then she, she one reading? of those uh you know oh. king david sending the husband off to be killed so he right
1: so you marry bath care of the child oh god did yeah notice, did you notice she kept saying when you're older you'll understand when you're yeah. older you understand mm-hmm. that yeah. makes me think you're right dave because it's like she clearly was just trying to look out for her family
4: yeah like, this right, was right. See, I look at the dress that way That she was actually The dress was meant to like protect her daughter Who was not really being Accepted by the stepfather But oh if he sees you in this dress You know And it kind of represents You know the affluence Of what she's trying to give her child I, I never had a dress like this when right. I was little I didn't have these advantages I'm trying to give you I think the mother was genuinely like trying to give her daughter advantages to protect her right. realizing that unfortunately that the the physical or the financial protection or even the military protection didn't bring this child love though well
0: so the one because- thing the one, the one the one thing I would say is really consistent about about Vidal you know like I'm looking at like some of the inconsistencies of what he expects from himself versus what he expects for others but the one kind of consistent theme I would say for him is that he views his wife and and even like in a way he does his son for sure he has a lot of problems with with the stepdaughter but he's but in in the purchase of the dress in doing these things is trying to find a way to see her as an extension of himself right she's right. refusing to go along with that program for obvious reasons right for obvious for, for, for obvious reasons but a refuse to go along with that program is what like kind of sets a, sets forth this conflict but the only consistency I would say with Vidal is he also sees himself as an extension of his father and his family line right so in that way, that's the, that'd be the one consistent thing I would find with Vidal is that both he sees other people as an extension of him, but he also sees himself as an extension of something that, that, that predates him. So he does see himself in this like long line of, of, of murderers, right, um, that like, uh, that, you know, will march, you know, he will march and have his place in history as a murderer, um, you know, and that's kind of, you know, he gets, and the fact that it's gonna be denied to him is, 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 to, is to him the most like devastating revelation. Like I am not gonna get this one thing. I'm. I'm. I'm mm-hmm. Back. Mm-hmm. Like, but, but talk about me after I'm dead. Talk about me as a great man. Right.
4: That's which, his immortality, supposedly.
0: Right. And which, his which, is
4: his immortality, I mean, supposedly. I mean, you know. I,
0: mean, I think. I think there's a body of evidence that 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 he was uh, that he was working on. I mean, like you look at uh, people like uh, Julius Caesar, uh, Alexander the Great, uh, Genghis Khan, uh, Mehmet, um Napoleon. You can see people all over the world. Uh, killing their way to being remembered um, by all kinds of people, and especially when you think about cases like Mehmet, uh, who's the Turkish, uh, the Turkish uh, leader who uh, who uh, toppled Constantinople, turned to Istanbul. I mean, he's always pictured with like roses and stuff, like snipping roses. You think of Alexander the Great, you know, like he's weeping, you know, because, you know, there's nowhere left to conquer. It's a very romantic. Uh, Akbar's and. <laughs> India. Um, he was seen as like the kind, Akbar the kind, or some of like this. So you see, all these just different people in different parts of the world. I mean, like, oh, right, he's doing. But like, but uh, but, but 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 always there's this pageantry around murder. So Napoleon, right? There's this pageantry around around the killing he's doing. He's on horse, and he's a great man, the will, you know, to go do something. So like, um, so I think that the Vidal's very much caught up in that pageantry, and he expects to to live on in, in a certain type of pageantry of whatever. What's so great about the film is we also see him like do these things that have no pageantry like you know like I'm, I'm shooting you i'm gonna like you know i'm gonna cut your i'm gonna saw you up you know it's not like there's no portraits of napoleon like you know like scalping people or like yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm, which i'm sure went on but like there's no there's no that's not that's not a cell so, that's not i got a right. question for you man that's
4: not the legacy that's not the Ooh. legacy the legacy is like you're you know like he was he told the story of his father which we know It turns out there were a number of lies in there you know when he says my father no my father my father was a brave man he was just a brave man that's all you know he was brave he was
1: courageous
4: he was a fighter like me
1: matt uh, i'm sorry can you can you speak on the um the the war and how there was a resistance even after the war was over because like it kind of, they kind of just glossed over that, and you're just right in the middle of this story. And it's just yeah. like, what happened? I mean,
0: well, I mean, during, during the Spanish Civil War, I mean, this is a, this time period of, a, of a, you know, like Europe is going fascist. You got Mussolini in Italy. You have obviously Hitler in Germany, and uh, a lesser uh, known, uh, you have, you have uh, Salazar arises in Portugal, even lesser known than Franco. So Salazar and Franco, a lot, lot less, lesser known than Mussolini and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Hitler. Uh, Primarily because of the position that Spain and Portugal were in at the time. They were nowhere near as powerful, um, not as powerful as Italy and certainly nowhere near as powerful as Germany at that point in time. Um, so, like, they didn't really have the ability to, to, to splash on the world stage in that same kind of way. So it was very much, Franco was very much in that line of that kind of fascist order, that kind of, um, which was, you know, uh, very similar to, to to you know to Mussolini, um you know calling back to like you know the grand Roman Empire and this and that and so so on and so forth um but like in using that to like smash unions and using that to smash all these kinds of things and everything you do was for the collective Italian good um but that was you know but it was distorted so it, it, so fascism always always has these kind of leftist kind of like the people kind of thing, mm-hmm. but it's always but it's done in like the people, the family the church the the this the that very like it's similar to it, it has a tinge of revolutionary kind of stuff but it's always like you know just a. you're serving a, it's like based like you're serving on you're serving a greater cause right that's the fascism always kind of makes argument You're serving a greater cause but they, then then that always ends up targeting like a, a a smaller group of people like a minority uh within the country you know yeah so so that was kind of what franco represented and then of course there was a resistance to that so you know the spanish republic and so, uh, uh, you know, the Spanish Republicans—they uh, were fighting against that, and you know, they included anarchists, communists, all kinds of people. And uh, it's a very thorny subject nowadays, you in, in the United States, funnily enough, because it, it's a, it becomes an uh, argument between uh, anarchists and and uh, and uh, and communists as to like why they failed, right? Uh, but the reason they failed was because Franco had superior forces. I mean, that—that's why. It, that's why anyone fails, so that, that's why anyone succeeds. <laughs> Superior <laughs> forces. Um, so, um, but he, he had more weapons, and he had more. You know. um, but at the time, uh, the, the only two, the only two governments uh, to to support um, uh, the Spanish Republic were uh, the USSR and Mexico. And, uh, oh, wow. Mexico under under Lazaro Cárdenas. So that Me, was, kind of, that was kind always of, Mexico. <laughs> 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 well, that, that wouldn't happen though if it that's yeah, uh,
1: in mexico
3: it's just like what <laughs> had, it not,
0: had it not been a, had it not been cardenas uh, it probably it, it probably they probably wouldn't have because uh, cardenas is actually the guy in mexico who set forth a lot of the stuff that 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 would uh would um would um would define so much of, of, of the legacy of, of the PRI, which is like the nationalization of oil, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So all these things that he said in motion by hand that the, that the Mexican government, like said, you know, like the same party spent decades dismantling happened under, under the presidency of one guy. So like, no, but they were the only ones that were kind of sub, sub, uh, supporting the rebels was Mexico and the USSR and oh, okay. everyone else was supporting uh, Franco. And uh, so it's just over, it's just overwhelming force. Um, you know, a lot of people from the US, they went to, to, to Spain to fight, uh, or people from the UK as well. I mean, very famously, uh, uh, Orwell went um, and he wrote about it. So yeah, the Spanish Civil War is a, a topic of endless debate, but on the one side you have Franco and on the other side you have people that were trying to overthrow Franco, you know, and have a, a different society than the one Franco proposed. Franco wins and, um, and basically, he, you know, he rules in Spain for decades. You know for decades um uh, salazar as well uh, in portugal so like they, they you have you have these governments that are they they were you know very fascist whereas like mussolini and and, and hitler have these like meteoric rises and then the very quick falls um but um but but salazar and uh and and franco were in for a long time which is which is why I earlier we mentioned the, the movie spirit of the beehive because that was actually made under franco and so it had to make be made a certain way and and we also covered uh a few films by louis uh, one film by louis one well mentioned several times he was actually he actually fled i mean it was a strict exile or it was just like i'm getting that (laughs) just reading yeah i can see
2: what's in the wind
0: i see what's in the wind so he got he got out of spain um and he made a lot of films in mexico um at that time period because he was he was he was was very subversive surrealist filmmaker um so yeah, there's a lot, a lot of history. This is play, plays against a lot of history. And The Devil's Backbone was a film before this that, that uh, the uh made. And so apparently, you know, the, the, the Spanish Civil War had a huge, um, huge uh, influence and impact on uh, General del Toro. It's interesting. Yeah,
2: I, I I think it's significant too in this film that the the conflict is structured in the mountains, right? Because um, there's a history of guerrilla activity activity. That's one of the ways I think that that forces historically have have balanced out this uh, inequality of like Matt was saying, superior forces. The best way to combat that that advantage of, of you know having more weapons, having uh, you know horses, tanks, whatever, planes, whatever, is to go into the woods, go into the mountains, go into go into these geographical areas where you know you have these advantages, where then you can ambush forces, uh, you can surprise them, you can you know use booby traps, you can do all of these things. I mean, it's how Arnold Schwarzenegger beat the alien, you know, in Predator. Yeah right? It was by fighting like the Vietnamese, you know, so there are powerful lessons to be learned. And I think here, I think that's very insightful, right? Because I was talking about Vidal as being this fascist machine, and you have the counterbalance, right? The world of fairy tales is the natural world, right? This is the world of freedom, the world of the, the guerrillas, the freedom fighters live in the woods, you know, that, that's the land of fairy tales, right? Ophelia immediately is uh, happy to see a bug. Like what a weird child to be so excited by seeing a bug, seeing this as a wonderful thing, you know, like, ew, gross, right? Vidal, if he had seen the same bug, he would have smashed it immediately, right? And I think that's mm-hmm. the difference between the two.
3: The
4: deeper he, reality. He like Paul brought up the and the thorns, you know, do you see the thorns? Do you just see that side of it? Or do you see something of deeper beauty within this natural world? which if you see a deeper beauty even within these horrors and by the way the haitian maroons did the same thing they hid in the mountains they sniped that's how they were able
1: to
4: over a lot of dictatorships over the years
1: did you guys um, catch the, so it, did you guys catch the symbolism of uh when he, the, the, the 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 pixies told her to stick the key into the one in the middle and then oh, yeah no this one so that was kind of setting up the mentality of going against what you think the revolution is always you know because it's like when when he said all you have to do is give me the baby just a prick mm-hmm. she still did it how she wanted to do it you know what i mean
3: right
1: I, I was wondering why that she didn't pick the one that they told her to pick you know just like when she chose the grapes you know it's just like it's not gonna happen to me. Uh, 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 uh,
4: Never uh. gonna happen. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: There's
4: a there's a there's a rebelliousness to that. That's very uh, inspiring, isn't it? Because well,
2: the, I think with the keys, like, the answer, I like, like many things, said. is to go further to the left.
4: Yeah, always. yeah. Don't she sits at the minute. left hand rather than the right hand of her. Fa- I noticed that. Her seat is <laughs> at the left hand, not the right hand of the father. Now, I, but what Paul said is really deep, though. It really is because I thought the same thing, Paul, which is, even if something is going to happen, it's well, not going to happen the way you think, wow. even with all the power that Videll had with all the forces he had at his disposal, with all the money he had his, hmm. at his disposal, like Henry Eighth, there were things he could not control.
3: Right. No
4: one really, It's. I think there is that message in there that no one, no matter how much po- right. seeming power you have, you right. don't really have control. Because
1: right. that's interesting because it's, it's like, they put in our heads, you better not eat a thing and it was like, if you thought God that, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think if that was me in that situation, I wouldn't have eaten anything. You know, there would be <laughs> a little guy, Aladdin, there would be genie in the lamp. The lamp would have been, the gold would have been safe. You know what I'm saying? I would have
2: said, yeah. Maybe it would have been like Indiana Jones in the last crusade, you know, when your hair falls out and, <laughs> and yeah. your skin seals yeah. off, you have chosen poorly.
4: But hadn't she also, was that the night she was sent to bed without her supper? Did she not get to eat that night? Was that that night? Because you remember how her mother after her bath?
2: I might have you remember been. that yeah,
4: after yeah, her yeah, bath, she yeah, couldn't. Yeah. She could not go to sleep.
3: Oh, wow. that's she could not she... go to
4: sleep with supper. She had to go to bed without her supper. She might have been really freaking hungry.
1: Hungry, you know. Right.
4: Plus, right. she's a kid. Plus, she doesn't know. Did you notice how she really relished? Because that grape was inordinately large. <laughs> I mean, this was like right. this was this was very fantastical. This world, and I think the sense that well, we had,
2: especially had a music cue. We had, I think, it was harps going. And, and speaking I,
4: of the music and the sound design, wow, the music and sound design was really great. The cinematography. Yeah, yeah. It,
1: it stands the test of time. The film stands it, as, everything except the cut, but everything else stands the test
2: of
3: time. <laughs> <laughs> like heels and everything.
2: <laughs> That uh yeah that, that that beautiful lullaby the second that you oh, you're yeah that you hear it you well into this world of yeah of the, of the, the beauty and the sadness of it. That's, that's it was beautiful. Love, that you simultaneously get this
3: idea.
4: The of, simple uh, humming of a um, lullaby maybe. is sometimes the best score. You know, sometimes yeah, humming, yeah. You know, they did that in Rosemary's Baby. You know, they did that in Rosemary's, where, where it's just kind of Mia Farrow's, like, humming. There's <laughs> something very haunting about a woman's humming
1: voice. Well, and you- it really was effective. Can it you demonstrate? Was... What do you mean?
3: <laughs> 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 mm-hmm. is,
4: you are sassy.
2: Now oh, I oh, that, Oh, that is that is haunting.
0: It is <laughs> haunting. All right. We have, I uh, we have get
4: it. I'm on to Paul though. Now I know he's sassy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> few comments from the from uh Kyle. questions. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah. So we got this, uh we got uh, Gary Rodrigo says, um, hey, how's it going? Pants Labyrinth, awesome the symbolic mythological, symbolic mythological meaning of nature versus the robotics of the fascist. And he says the meaning of Native Americans or indigenous versus industrial revolution.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh, Gary goes on to say, uh, they refer to they refer her of the princess of hope of another realm that can unite. Yes, that's why it kind of reminded me of, uh, of, uh, of the never-ending story. <laughs> I got a prequel to the never-ending story or something. True. That's
2: a pr- true. A princess who can what?
0: Unite, you know, like
4: unite two worlds, oh. forces. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah.
4: that's beautiful.
0: Hmm. Uh, Dust James says, uh, "Do you think they did a disservice? Did he do a disservice to the message of the film by glossing over the heroism, the brilliance, and collectivism of the anti-fascist forces?" By focusing on her individual fantasies. <laughs> Interesting
4: perception. Well, I well, didn't right. get that from it, but that's an interest. I do I will say I that him,
0: Dust James is a Marxist-Leninist truck driver. If <laughs> 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 I put that out there, this guy is uh, he's a he's very, very serious revolutionary. Badass. Guy. Yeah, badass. No, he thought this out. So
4: he, no, um, it,
3: he's
0: like the he's singular, very, like, hero, the singular I hero. I can
4: see how the idea of the the Western the Western industrial ver- idea of like the rugged individualism, the individual hero um, could undermine this idea of the collective uh, victory. I, I get that. I, I will say how many of you were really surprised the first time you saw with, with, when um, Mercedes was about to slit her own throat and mm. all of a sudden there was gunfire and every, every, everybody started to go down. I, I admit that I was really surprised. I really thought that that's how she was going to go down was by slitting. Oh,
2: off. right, right, right. Well, I, I think that's very- interesting. Yeah, because the, the real story has more of a fairy tale ending. It has more of that Disney happy ending, you know, that contravi- uh, contrivances, right? Because like, they take her out to a random spot. It's not like it's been established in the film anywhere that they have a designated killing zone in the forest. So the chances that the revolutionaries would have found them in the middle of the woods, wherever the hell it is that they took her, you know, it's just like, it's, it's pretty much impossible. So it's, yeah. it's 100% Guillermo del Toro saying to himself, I want a happy ending here. Yeah. Mercedes. I want Pedro and Mercedes to be reunited. So that then that makes sweet. it even more, you know, ironic and juxtaposition that in the fairy tale world, in the world that's supposed to have all this fantasy stuff going on, you know, stuff that can't implausible things. What did you um, think? Of the- things that that Ophelia would die. That you have the. Well, then there
4: you go. The brother and sister, Mercedes and what was her brother? Pedro. Name? Pedro. They are reunited, but Ophelia and her brother only for a brief time and then yeah. never again. You know, and I think that actually if you look at Mercedes, for example, she's another hero. I can see how we could say that that some of the fantasy could get in the way of that. But I think if we look at it more as as sort of the allegory of what's going on in the real world, it, it actually emphasizes it or highlights it because then we see there are many heroes in this film. What there are actually you think many heroes?
1: Back? What did you think of the doctor? Remember that speech? Doctor was cool. Right before he died, he was like, look, sometimes you're not going to get what you want. Um, (laughs) That's your job. I'm going to walk away and go. That was good. That was, You know,
4: I'm glad you brought that up, Paul, because that was actually one of the, I think that was one of the best moments in the
1: film. As soon as he started talking. (laughs) That was good. That was a good
2: Good. mention. I I love the way that his death scene is shot, right? Because you just... You have him walking away and the camera is, you know, backing along with him. And then you see Vidal, you know, in the background. And the way he goes down, the
4: way he goes down where he kind of starts, he keeps walking momentarily. He drops his bag. It's too heavy for him to carry when he's shot, but he keeps walking for a while before... As if to say, this is still going to go on when you're not. You know, it's very powerful. Yeah. That that is a good mention, Paul, because that's a very powerful scene.
2: That's he looks a, a little I, bit actor they cast for that. He looks a lot like that one guy from The West Wing. He also looks a little bit like Stanley Tucci. He's like a combination <laughs> of the two actors. That and he are. was
4: good. I liked the doctor. I liked Mercedes. <laughs> I liked the doctor. There were performances that I liked more than some of the others Mm. and their performances I thought were really good I liked the mother more as she went on I was not crazy about her in the beginning it Mm. was interesting that I think del Toro and now I realize you know what he's not stupid and he's very talented director so he might have done that deliberately where at the beginning all the characters seem almost like like stereotypes you know but over the course of time they are less and less so. If he did that deliberately, that's genius, yeah. really. That is, because that's not easy to, to direct that,
2: to
3: people, yeah, you, people you, to do that.
2: Uh, Paul, you've been asking so many questions throughout this. I'd like to ask, what's your favorite uh, performance of the film?
1: Wow. Uh, my, my favorite performance was, let's see here, performance well I mean that it had to be the villain the guy um he really he really I looked at his imdb and he looks nothing like that he's, he's all the and everything. if you go to his imdb he's just a mess but he really really he carried it he carried it he really carried it because it was like I think that I don't know if it's a it's a cultural thing but just the the use of violence was so detailed. I mean, he got shot right there, and it's I yeah. just you know remember that part. It was like mm-hmm. it, was, it was like he really really made you f- afraid of anybody he was around. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, everybody was subject to die if mm-hmm. they did the wrong thing, you know. And he had me on the edge of my seat the whole movie. So that's my favorite. you
4: be- you believed his te- his reign of terror. I and would, you never knew
3: what he was going to do. Yeah, No, even even
1: when the guy came back, what it was when he was like, what happened to her? And he was like, we were surrounded. There's a bunch of people, you know, and I was like, oh, God, did you see that guy's hand? Did you <laughs> see the stutterer's hand? Oh, yeah, that was
4: horrible. Oh my God, that was horrible.
3: Oh. That's At one, first, oh I God. thought that was like
4: part of his face oh. going down or something. I couldn't, you couldn't even tell. Like it was like, and that was what actually, to Del Toro's credit, too, is you, do you remember when he hits him with the hammer and everything goes black as if it's this guy's perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's what true. he doesn't show sometimes. Yeah, this is yeah, yeah. this is the mark of a really great director. Well, you well. have to know sometimes what not to show. Well, well, but I'm see, thing, your that's, point.
1: that's why I think it's a cultural thing because you can't. You can't bash somebody's nose in with a bottle yeah. today, <laughs> unless it's in a yeah. video. But yeah. other than that, when I saw that, I was like, "Oh, oh, oh, oh!" I, that that yeah. was like
4: the first like I was like, "Oh my god, this really this is not is a children's movie. film," you know? No, I was like, "Oh my god!" I was like, are so "That ones? was horrible."
3: What's going
0: on? <laughs> so we have a we have a, a comment from Doug Jacobs who says, uh, "I find it interesting to track the relationships of Mercedes and Ophelia." The two brothers, the two pairs of siblings. One brother is in the outer world of action and the other is inside. But mm-hmm. it is given birth into the out but is given birth into the outside, but is completely helpless and must be protected, rescued from the bad stepfather. Fairy tales on top of fairy tales. It seems to echo the themes of Ernest Becker's The Denial of Death. The fear of death leads to highly destructive heroic actions to achieve mortality. Here, the hero is told that his son will never know his name
2: well okay so so Doug, once again once again is 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 brilliant absolutely brilliant here and i think yeah he touched upon so paul was talking about the parallels of, of the siblings and i think yeah we have this parallel of like um the 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 brothers the younger brothers they're both younger brothers in these pairs are dependent upon the older sister. So oh, I think wow. in both dynamics, that is the pro-feminism of, of the film is that oh, in boy. both of those cases they're dependent. So he, right. he ha, Pedro has the wound that uh, Mercedes has to get uh, him the antibiotics for, right. you know, and he's dependent on the supplies Right. and, um, right. you know, even though she says, I'm a coward, I'm, you know, I'm complicit in all of this, he, mm. they all need the supplies, they need the food, they need the medicine, you know, in order to survive, and then yeah that that uh the baby brother is in the womb but needs um ophelia to um uh, you know to save him to to uh help the mother with the mandrake root you know perhaps <laughs> that came <keep him> alive <laughs> calm, as well to calm him down because remember he was kicking a lot and stuff oh right
1: right right what do you think about the choice of actually showing the fetus
4: that was oh
3: yeah yeah. I liked that so, moment.
4: That was one of my favorite moments. Actually, I loved that. I thought that was, and it, then it segues into this other fantastical world. It was very well done, I thought, very. And you know, him, the, even Vidal, Vidal holding up the antibiotic, you know, and then later he compares the two and realizes that the doctor's involved. I mean, this is an example of what Hitchcock used to call pure cinema. Pure cinema is where you're given very specific visual cues for a very specific reason and it's it's integral to the story Mm -hmm. that was that was very well done it was very well
1: done the knife under her thingy thingy. thing
4: oh yeah that was and she says remember when she cuts his mouth she says something like you're not the you're not the first pig I've ever gutted or something like that you're not going to be the last like it's like you know she doesn't think she's courageous
1: get it Janine Say it again, Paul. <laughs> high five, Paul. That,
2: that, Wait, that actually, ironically enough, reminds me high of, high the, high of the of the close up of the udders because I think what's funny <sighs> is you know American movie audiences are so you know sensitive to things, that even showing <laughs> a close up of utters is like a form of like body horror to us.
3: Like,
4: yeah. The yeah.
2: Image, yeah. You know, to portray. But yeah. Well, in milk, I, I
4: mean, know. milk comes from a mother's breasts, and and she puts the mandrake in the milk. Ultimately, I mean, there's mm-hmm. the symbolism of the feminism, as David mentioned, is is just that is actually all of this is kind of moving through the whole movie. It is interesting to realize what a powerful role Mercedes ends up playing in this story, yeah. you know, and she ends up being kind of a surrogate mother to Ophelia too she ends up being in a comfort when her mother can no longer be oh
1: yeah yeah because she was like hey I'm leaving today
3: take me with you yeah (laughs) Yeah.
1: you can't wake a child up and say I'm leaving (laughs) (laughs) I thought thought that was so funny
2: she's like no you can't yes please okay
4: (laughs) (laughs) a little bit of resistance not too much do we have other comments questions
0: no that's it and we're we're approaching the hour and a half mark so I don't know if uh, we want to well, wrap up. I'll wrap it up and share some final thoughts here. <laughs> uh, well, uh, uh, why don't uh, why don't you why don't we just go around and uh, and uh, I'll, I'll close it out because I'm supposed to pick it next me next anyways, right?
3: Right. Oh, right, right, right.
4: All, um. let's hear from you. Summarize *Pans Labyrinth*. Your wonderful choice from the Criterion Criterion Collection.
1: Well, um, it was a lot more. It was very, very. It was very, very interesting to see how. Um, I liked it back then versus now. Um, I had no idea, and I'm glad we had this opportunity or I had this opportunity to discuss just what was going on because I try to tell two stories at the same time when I write, but this was just done on a whole nother level. And given the fact that there's some level of truth to it with the wars and stuff, it just really expands my appreciation
2: for how to tell a story. That's good.
4: David,
2: what are you thinking? Um, So, yeah, I was uh, one one of the straight thoughts that I had written down that I'd forgotten to bring up uh, before was, uh, of course, the homages to The Shining, uh, Stanley Kubrick. Um, We have this labyrinth. We have a climactic scene where a father is chasing a child uh, to murder them uh, through this labyrinth. But, uh, you know, there is warmth in this film, even though it's, you know, this tragic ending, there is warmth in this film because magic does step in a, a, a plot device. If The Shining was about stripping down illusions and and, and and presenting a cold, you know, and terrible, you know, uncaring world, um, where it just so happens to be an accident uh, that Danny somehow eludes uh, the murderous Jack in this maze. In this world, in Pan's Labyrinth, uh, the, 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 the maze actually, um, you know uh, uh, uh contracts expands expands um so that so that uh ophelia can escape for a moment right so we have this this magical moment and i think that is one of the call back to uh how we kicked off the episode that is one of the moments in this film that calls into question well is this um i think the the status most impactful uh reading of this film is that this is just the uh insane daydream of of a little girl um but i did want to say that that is one of the moments of the film that calls into question um whether or not this this was real Did, did this actually happen and maybe it did the fact that this place is real why the hell is there this gigantic spiral stone megalithic structure um in spain that has no no conceivable purpose or or explanation or roots, uh, Mercedes knows it's there. Um, so we have multiple characters co- confirming the existence of a place that we see in the film tied to magic. The Pan's Labyrinth is real. Is the netherworld real? Is all this other stuff real? Is this magic, you know, this, this ending, glorious ending, is that real? We don't know. Um, but I think that it's interesting that this is a film that um, unlike Inception or unlike a number of these films with like these twist endings or whatever, that this film pays off on both levels. It's just as satisfying if it's her delusion as it is, you know, that this fantasy world is a very real world. And I think that's the brilliance of this film and good God, do I wish that Guillermo del Toro went back to making films like this. Because um, I think this is really where he got it in blending history and fantasy and actually having these deeply compelling uh, emotional stories.
4: That's a good assessment. I, I, as you're talking, it's so interesting. It does call to question like if, if you are uh, a freedom force going up against the ultimate control, you know, in this case, it's fascism. Do you need a little bit of magic? Do you need a little bit of miracles wow. to make that possible? And I think, it. right? right. I mean, this. I think this film, I think this film, I think that's kind of what Del Toro is saying is that maybe you do. It's mm-hmm. not, it, the question is, isn't just what is real and what isn't, it's the, the more important question is what is true than what is real? What is true wow. is truthful. Wow. Sometimes allegory is truthful,
3: right? <laughs>
1: So Where's your book, Janine? What book did you write? <laughs> you wrote a book. I want to read it. Come on, look at all those books behind you. You you read? You wrote something. <laughs> sorry,
4: coming. It's coming. They're all coming. Um, but <laughs> sorry, you. she bows. Thank you. Um, and this has really, actually, this has been a real pleasure to my first viewing of Pan's Labyrinth and this discussion, I can't imagine a better way to be like introduced and inducted into it than having had this experience because this has really been a pleasure, you guys, truly. Yeah. Thank you. It's really right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's 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 really it just goes to show you how how social movies really are, you know, how pertinent it is to have these discussions. I was saying this to someone the other day, and I think this does touch on the movie. We need more discursive thought and discussions rather than soapboxes and, you know, righteousness. We really need to have more conversation. That it doesn't, the issue is not whether or not we agree. The issue is whether or not we're thinking. (laughs) Wow. Well done,
3: guys. Yeah,
0: so uh, I, I really enjoyed this film. Um, of course, I, I, you know, it's a great film about, uh, about the Spanish Civil War. I, I'd say that if you can watch it, you should probably pair uh, watching with the uh, Spirit of the Beehive, as well as uh, uh, Del Toro's other work, um, Devil's Backbone, on the same topic. Um, it's a great film. It's, it's got all kinds of iconic uh, imagery and all kinds of things that people talk about to this day for, for a reason. I mean, there's a reason why this film is so beloved. Um, so with that thank you so much for joining next week thank you Paul for coming on what's our
4: next week's film Matt
0: next week's film is going to be a film called Pather Pankali as directed by the great
2: wow oh classic of Indian cinema hey I want to give a shout out quickly here to Matt's hair blowing in the wind yes
0: (laughs) 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 I got, I got,
4: like, it's an allegory to his need for and his drive for liberation.
1: Uh, <laughs> or he's just hot. <laughs> you
4: got a hot resume. Alright, <laughs> oh,
3: so <laughs> right, see you next week.